Hey kids, it's time for another Just Another Fanboy Classic episode. This week we got episode 16, which was originally published on Wednesday, December the 13th, 2006. And there is so much I want to say about this episode, but I'm not gonna, because I'm actually lying to each and every one of you. There's really nothing at all I want to say about this episode, but hey, don't take that to mean that there's nothing worth talking about this episode. It's just, all right, I'll say this. In this episode, the episode you're about to listen to, that again, was recorded back in December of 2006, I make the following statement. I'm not going to play it from the episode. You'll hear it here. I'll do my impersonation from 2022 saying this back in 2006. It might sound a little different if you compare the two, you know, because I have aged quite a bit. But this is this is what I said in the episode. You ready? <clears throat> here it goes. Quote starts now. This theory that Renee Montoya is going to become the new question is bunk. I'm calling it now. Renee Montoya will not be the new question. End quote. See, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to point out my stupidity because, of course, 16 weeks later, 16 weeks after I made that statement, Renee Montoya becomes the new question, proving once again that I am an idiot. That's right, folks. I hate to shatter that misconception that you have about me being the single coolest person that you have in your life, but I am not a smart person. Oh, also, as the title says, I talk about my top five favorite books from November of 2006 in this episode. That Yeah, we're going to get to. Settle down. I just want you to know that I will be revisiting the, the comic that I chose for my, my number one pick, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and spoil it for you because it's part of the cover art. If you, if you look at this at the website or whatever, it's, it's a book called The Nightly News by Jonathan Hickman. And uh, I'm going to talk about that on my Patreon podcast here on Friday. Now, that podcast is called My Other Podcast because that's how incredibly clever I am. So if you do want to hear me talk about the nightly news, if you want to hear how I, you know, my thoughts, I, I can't speak. If you want to hear what I think about the book now compared to how I thought about it, back in 2006. And obviously I thought it was pretty cool because it was my top number one pick of all the books I read in November of 2006. If you want to see if my thoughts have changed or, you know, hear me talk about it a little bit more intelligently, because it's obvious I was quite a moron back then, you will need to join my Patreon, which is only a dollar a month. I mean, eventually it's probably going to be released for everybody in a month or so or a couple of weeks and whatnot. But if you want to get it early, if you want to get it before everybody else or at least everybody else who's not on my Patreon, come join. Dollar a month. Patreon.com slash Stephen R. Or link will be in the show notes. All right, let's get to this episode. Enjoy. You're listening to Just Another Fanboy, the podcast that melts in your mouth, not in your hands. Just Another Fanboy is a Lynx Broadcasting production. Lynx, like the cat. Meow. Just like a comic book! 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 
Welcome to episode number 16 of Just Another Fanboy. This episode was recorded on December 12th, 2006, and has a great big belly that shakes like a bowl full of jelly. I'm your host, Stephen, and this week is special, but only because I said so. I do want to apologize for leaving the show so abruptly last week. It wasn't professional, and I am deeply, truly, bitterly sorry. It's just that when I think of that Just Bill's podcast, I just tend to go a little mad. I mean, come on. We are talking elitism at its very worst. And I tell you, if I had that guy in front of me right now, I'd take his scrawny little nick in my hands and I'd wring his neck. Now, now, now. Let's take it down a notch, Stephen, old buddy. I really don't want to have to finish up your show for you again this week. You're right. You're right. Sorry. Well, Sorry, everybody. I'm just saying, you know, Norman was pretty pissed off about it, just like I was pretty pissed off about it. We're all pissed That's off. That's right. Quit leaving. Yes. Get on with the show. You tell him, because I, you know, I was angrier than a skunk in a pumpkin patch when you left us high and dry. If you do that again, I'm probably going to okay. stick my foot so up okay. inside your rear end that you ain't going to see Sunday. <laughs> what does that even mean? Hell, I don't know, but... Just don't do it again. Okay, you're right. Sorry, I'm sorry. Everyone, I am sorry. So let's just get on with the show. So I've recently started a new job, a job where I just simply have no Internet access, and it's just driving me crazy. I mean, I do have a small amount of Internet access at work, so I guess that previous statement was just a complete lie, or at least a dramatic embellishment. But the Internet access I do have at work is limited to two 10-minute breaks and a 30-minute lunch. And that's not much when you consider the cigarette I have to smoke during each one of those 10-minute breaks and, of course, the lunch I have to eat during lunch. Plus, there's my after-meal cigarette. But anyway, when you add that to the fact that I can't do a lot of surfing at home due to our dial-up connection and the three little kids we got running around and taking up all our time, then my Internet time at the moment is quite limited. And my previous job, the job that laid me off, we'll talk about that in a little more detail when my severance check is in hand. But, you know, at that job, I had oodles of Internet time, and now pretty much nothing. And it's driving me a little crazy because I'm feeling so out of the comic podcasting community loop. And so the fat man is just a little sad lately. That was until I heard about a little something coming out on DVD. Now, normally, I'm not one to buy TV shows on DVD, preferring instead to just get them through Netflix. However, there has always been one show that I knew that if it would ever be released on DVD, I would snatch it up. And that baby is finally going to see the light. Here, I'll just read the stories straight from TVShowsOnDVD.com. And it says, WKRP in Cincinnati. It's really coming out. This was posted by Gord Lacey on uh, December 11th, 2006, and it says, News that Fox is releasing WKRP in Cincinnati is making the rounds thanks to a flyer that can be found inside the upcoming release of Stacked. The studio has been working on the set for quite a while, spending most of their time looking at the songs used in the series. As you've probably guessed, there will be music substitutions when the set comes out, but the studio has been spending a lot of time with the music supervisor to ensure that the replaced songs fit the show. Hugh Wilson, creator of the series, has heard some of the replaced music and thought Fox did a good job. The series was one that Fox reps said would never be released on DVD because of the music, but Fox is currently looking at April 2007 for the first season set. Hopefully fans will keep an open mind and consider purchasing this set, even with some of the music being replaced. We'll have more info when the set is officially announced. 
Yeah, the fat man is back to being happy. So let's move on to listeners' feedback. There will be no listeners' feedback this week due to the fact that Stephen's listeners thinks that he is a big fat loser who should die a slow and painful death. Tune in next week when maybe there will be listeners' feedback. Thank you. And the fat man is sad again. So I guess that brings us to news and information you could have easily gotten for yourself with just a little effort. This week's news and information you could have easily gotten for yourself with just a little effort is brought to you by Surly Jim's House of Pencils. And Surly Jim wants to know... Uh, you want to buy some pencils? Surly Jim has pencils for every occasion. Do you like to draw, scribble, or just write your name over and over on a sheet of crisp white paper? Well, why not try a writing tool from Surly Jim's House of Pencils? Ask for Surly Jim by name and get a free number two pencil for all your testing needs. Surly Jim's House of Pencils. Because you have to buy them someplace, right? The Walking Dead number 33 is an instant sellout. The most controversial issue of Robert Kirkman's End Days epic to date has sold out at Diamond in less than 24 hours, and to respond to the overwhelming demand, Image Comics is going back to press. In a world filled with flesh-eating zombies, humanity must become savage to survive. This issue features ex-lawyer McCone turning the tables on her sadistic captor, The Governor, who Wizard Magazine named Villain of the Year. Fans everywhere are talking about the latest haunting installment of the fan-favorite zombie saga. The 24-hour sellout is an incredible achievement, said Image's executive director Eric Stevenson. Robert Kirkman and Charlie Adlard really pushed the envelope with this issue. It's terrifying, it's challenging, and what's so great about The Walking Dead is you never know what's going to happen next. From brutal action to desperate romance to powerful commentary on the human condition, anything can happen in The Walking Dead. This horrifying issue is a great example of why this series is such a hit. The second printing of Walking Dead number 33 will ship on December 16th and be on sale December 27th. As the Incredible Clone Saga reaches its mind-numbing conclusion in Ultimate Spider-Man number 104, Marvel has announced another variant to this monumental issue. Along with the previously announced Mark Bagley cover and homage to Joe Quesada's cover to Ultimate Spider-Man number 1, issue number 104 will feature another variant known as the White Variant. Similar to the White Variant for Ultimate Spider-Man number 1, the Ultimate Spider-Man number 104 White Variant variant will be incredibly rare, a 1 for 100 variant. This double-sized issue continues Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley's historic streak of concurrent issues by one creative team set by the iconic team of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. The Clone Saga all comes to a head here as Spidey takes on Dr. Octopus in the biggest fight of his young life with the future of all those that he cares for at stake. Do not miss Ultimate Spider-Man number 104, a truly momentous issue in the annals of the Ultimate Universe, commemorated with not one, but two amazing variants. DC Comics announces that Part 4 of the landmark Last Sun storyline, written by Jeff Johns and Richard Donner, and illustrated by Andy Kubert, 
has been moved from January's Action Comics number 847 to March's issue number 848. Action Comics number 847 will feature a new story written by Dwayne McDuffie and illustrated by Renato Guedes. With Metropolis under siege from General Zod and the villainous hordes of the Phantom Zone, Clark Kent's friends and family watch in horror as Superman heads into danger against the greatest odds of his career. And on DVD this week, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Extended Edition 4-Disc Set. Gomer Pyle, USMC, Season 1, 5-Disc Set. St. Elsewhere, Season 1, 4-Disc Set. And Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. And that was this week's news and information you could have easily gotten for yourself with just a little effort. And now my comic book. Picks of the Week. This week from D.C., we have 52, number 32, written by Jeff Johns, Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, and Mark Wade. Breakdowns by Keith Giffen. Art by Patrick Alif and Drew Garassi. Covers by J.G. Jones. The story of the year continues in four more chapters of America's only weekly superhero adventure. In this issue. You wish to be with her again? Come closer. I will show you how. Plus the origin of Blue Beetle by Wade and Cully Hamner. 52 has been kicking a lot of booty lately. Though this theory that Renee Montoya is going to become the new question is bunk. I'm calling it now. Renee Montoya will not be the new question. Batman number 660, written by John Ostrander, art by Tom Mandrake, covers by Gregory Lauren. Three horrific murders rock Gotham with only one gruesome connection. Parts of the victims' faces have been carved away. Meanwhile, a brutal Russian gangster called Perun threatens Amina Franklin, a doctor working at Leslie Tompkins' clinic, which brings in not only the Batman, but his bizarre new foe. Grotesque! And as the mystery of Grotesque deepens, a vicious new player enters the game. A Japanese Yakuza named Johnny Karaoke. Batman confronts Karaoke and his murderous geisha girls while the monstrous grotesque strikes once again. Okay, you know, I think that was the same solicitation as number 659. Come on, DC. Green Arrow number 69, written by Judd Winnick, art and cover by Scott McDaniel and Andy Owens. Batman shows up in Star City. Unfortunately, the Red Hood isn't far behind, and Speedy is the Hood's target. Is she another sidekick to be destroyed despite Batman's best efforts? Justice Number 9, written by Jim Kruger and Alex Ross. Art by Doug Braithwaite and Ross. Cover by Ross. The breathtaking miniseries by Alex Ross, Jim Kruger, and Alex Ross continues with plenty of surprises. Black Adam, the Marvel family, 
and the Justice League's plans to storm their adversaries' strongholds. Boy, Alex Ross has his name all over this book. Justice League of America number four, written by Brad Meltzer, art by Ed Benes and Sandra Hope, cover by Michael Turner, variant cover by J.G. Jones. Brad Meltzer and Ed Benes continue their best-selling saga of the tornado's path, as the true mastermind behind the latest threat to the League is finally revealed, and an old friend reappears. You know, Brad better pick up the pace. I mean, I've really been enjoying this book, but I read that issue number seven, which comes out in March, will be the first time we see the full League. Seven issues before the entire League is together. I hope this creative team is on the book for longer than 12 issues. And, man, that's a lot from DC this week. So, for Marvel this week, we have nothing. There ain't nothing I'm buying from Marvel this week. And so, those were my comic book picks of the week. See the full list of comics being released this week over at the Just Another Fanboy message board at pythonland.com slash fanboy. And, hey, while you're there, register and post because we want you to. Just don't post spam, because I'll delete it and ban you, just like I had to do tonight to one lucky soul. You got your own picks? Call us at 1-877-309-8367, extension 212, and tells us all about them. If you don't call, I may just have to go lick a greasy spoon. And now for At the Movies with Gary Indiana. Well, howdy there, everybody. It's Gary with you once more for At The Movies with Gary Indiana. The winner from last week is C. Herter, who guessed correctly that last week's movie quote came from the movie Batman. Congratulations, C. Your prize will be out to you soon. And now, this officially ends this version of At The Movies with Gary Indiana. Starting this week, I'm taking the segment in a whole new direction. Instead of the game show it once was just a few seconds ago, I have decided to review some of my favorite movies instead. You see, I get a lot of DVDs through the mail from an online rental service who, until they can start providing me with free rentals, will remain nameless throughout this podcast and future podcasts to come. Even though practically each and every DVD I will talk about will come from this nameless online rental company, and I and though I could spend an inordinate amount of time singing their praises, unless they decide that they are going to start hooking me up with some free crap, then their name shall not be uttered. Maybe, just maybe, once just another fanboy is being listened to by hundreds of people every day, I can show this mysterious internet rental company that I can provide them with some excellent advertising by promoting their service right here in this very podcast. And at that time, they may be willing to pony up a swag. But until then, nothing. But I digress. In my world, seeing as a week just does not want to go crawling by without providing me with the opportunity to watch a DVD, be it new or old, movie or television show, I thought for my new segment, I would ask the burning question, What's in my DVD player? Now I want you to picture this scene in your head. Everyone around the world are all going about their daily business when out of nowhere, a giant flying saucer and other giant flying saucers appear at every major city around the globe. 
The people of Earth now sit around their television sets, glued to the news, anxiously awaiting any updates on these mysterious hovering disks. Are they friendly? Are they evil? What is the fate of Earth? Sounds a little like Independence Day, don't it? Well, guess what? It ain't. Nope, today I'm going to talk about Independence Day's predecessor by 13 years. I'm talking about 1983's V, the original TV miniseries. See a big bunch of aliens with 80s hair and blue blocker sunglasses come to Earth under a banner of peace and are received openly. The aliens have disguised themselves to look just like humans and plead for our help. It seems that their planet has run out of a precious resource and they need a special chemical that only our factories can produce. However, it doesn't take long for the humans to discover that the visitors aren't exactly what they seem. The aliens are basically human-sized bipedal reptiles. They are cold-blooded, they eat mice, and some even spit venom. They also want to harvest the earth of all its water and its people. The people they will use in two ways. Some will be brainwashed and used as soldiers to fight against the visitors' enemies. The rest will be used as food. As the miniseries ends, the war for earth begins. V is one of those movies that at its time was a huge success. I was only about 11 when I first watched the miniseries on TV with my parents, and I don't really remember liking it too much then. This is the first time that I have seen it since, and I did enjoy it more, but not for the plot or acting. I loved it for its sheer cheese. Basically, what you have here is a movie with a lot of potential, but that potential just wasn't realized back in 83. The writers have created a World War II situation with aliens as the Nazis and humans as the Allied forces. The aliens, or visitors, will wear red uniforms with the swastika-like symbol on the breast and cap which scream Nazi. They even have their own version of the Hitler Youth when they recruit teenage humans to join an organization that allows the youngsters to dress like the visitors, carry laser guns, and are even encouraged to turn in their friends and families. Turn them in for what? Not for being Jewish, but for being scientists. Wait a minute, what? Scientists? Yep, scientists. See, it is feared by the visitors that Earth scientists will figure out that the visitors are nothing more than big lizards, and thus discover how to destroy them. So the visitors, while still being revered by Earth citizens, cook up some anti-scientist propaganda, claiming that a number of scientists have been plotting against the visitors. Soon, scientists are hiding from the visitors in the same way the Jews hid from the Nazis. Children of scientists are being picked on and hurt by other kids at school and are referred to as dirty scientist kids. I loved it. Such cheese. The best cheese, however, came in the form of the action hero Mike Donovan, played by the Beastmaster himself, Mark Sanger. Mike Donovan, a cameraman for the local news, was single-handedly responsible for discovering the true nature of the visitors. Granted, a rebel army, formed by some of the ousted scientists, have gathered to fight the visitors, but without Mike Donovan's help, who in turn received a little help from a small group of visitors who don't agree with what their leader is doing, the resistance would be nothing more than just a bunch of scientists blowing stuff up. As I said earlier, I think this movie had a lot of potential to be a great epic story had it not been for the massive amounts of cheese that permeated the entire miniseries. I think that if the miniseries would be redone today, with all the cheese elements taken out, we could have us a masterpiece on our hands. For a television miniseries done in the early 80s, the special effects were done quite well. The shots of the visitors' motherships hanging in the air over the major cities of the world looked amazing. 
Were it not for the fashion and the hair, you wouldn't know the series was done in 83 if you looked only at those shots of the giant flying saucers, which I am sure the makers of Independence Day took as inspiration for their movie. So I'll give this movie a B, just for Mark Singer. And that's what's in my DVD player. And so there you are, this week's newly improved At the Movies with Gary Indiana. I hope you like the new segment. And if you don't, well, I just don't know what to say, because you're going to be hearing a lot more of these in the future. And, well, it, it looks like Stephen is motioning for me to uh, to move along with the show. And so now we move on to Stephen's top three comics of November 2006. So let's get along, little doggies, and take it away, Stephen. Hello, this is my top three comics of November 2006. Actually, it's my top five because November had a lot of good crap coming out for me on comics. Crap meaning good. And I had so many books in November that I couldn't narrow it down to just three. So we're going to do my top five. Number five comes from DC Comics. It's Superman number 657. Uh, Kurt Busick was the writer. Penciler was Carlos Pacheco. Jesus Marino was the inker, Dave Stewart handled the colors, and Comic Craft handled the letters. This is the uh, first part of the Camelot Falls arc, and it shows a, a vision of the future in which Superman has battled the villainous Kyber and destroyed the world, ultimately. And in the ruins of Metropolis, we have Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen scrounging around, scrounging around for supplies and whatnot. And they're the, basically your freedom fighters also consist of Lex Luthor and uh, the Parasite. This is a, a, a very, I don't want to say unique, but it's a, it's a very interesting look at the future. Um, I enjoy stories like this that are set in a, like a, almost a po- post-apocalyptic type of future where you know the the surroundings are somewhat familiar because there's still all the the buildings the city is still somewhat intact somewhat but you know everything's destroyed there's there's not as many people running around and i don't know i just i just like stories like this and plus carlos pacheco has got to be one of my top 3 and eh, maybe top 5 artists of all time he just he draws a beautiful book so if you if if you've been enjoying Superman, this is this is one I would highly recommend. Superman number six fifty seven, check it out. Number four from Marvel Comics, we have Civil War number five. This is uh, written by Mark Millar, penciled by Steve McNiff- Steve McNiven. The inker was Dexter Vines. The colorist is Mari Hollowell, and the letterer is Chris Eliopoulos. Now. Frankly, this book hit my top five simply because, and here's a spoiler, so if you haven't read Civil War number five yet, press pause, but the Punisher makes his triumphant return into the Marvel Universe in Civil War number five. Now, the Punisher, of course, has been around in his Max title written by Garth Ennis, which I don't read, but... He doesn't, you know, it's not really the Marvel Universe proper. He's just running around shooting gangsters and whatnot. Whereas now in Civil War number five, he's back. He's wearing the full black costume with the white boots and the white gloves. And he rescues Spider-Man who has now torn away. He's, he's left the side of the pro registration and 
the uh, the new Thunderbolts, which are basically is Marvel's version now of the Suicide Squad, um, hunt them down. And I should say the the characters actually that hunt them down are Jack O' Lantern and um, God, I can't even think of who the other dude was. Uh, obviously, he wasn't very interesting because his name the Jester. It's not right, is it? It's not the Jester. It's um yeah, who cares? Anyway, they're kicking Spider Man's kabooty. And the Punisher shows up and and uh, caps pops a cap in him, saves Spider-Man, takes him to the uh, anti-registration side. Really good book. Steve McNiven again. Uh, he's he's also probably one of my t- in my top five artists of all time. Uh, he has a very cinematic feel to the way he 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 draws. Uh, Mari Hollowell, the colorist, just goes above and beyond on this book. There's even a couple of shots in uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters where if if you pay attention, you can see on some of the various computer screens screenshots of the Comic Geek Speak forums. That's twice now that Comic Geek Speak has gotten a shout out in Civil War, you lucky, lucky, uh, lucky little bastards. So Civil War number five. If you're not reading the Civil War, well... Jump aboard because it's pretty fun. Uh, number three comes from Marvel's Icon line. That's criminal from Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Ed Brubaker, the great brew, is the writer. Sean Phillips is the artist, and the colors are done by Val Staples. This is issue number two of um, looks like a five-part story arc. Um, this is kind of where the the crap hits the fan. Uh, in the first issue, um, our main character, Leo, has gotten together with, with an old uh, crime buddy and what seems to be a, a, a bad cop, and they've hit upon this um, this job of stealing diamonds from a police evidence van. And so in this issue, we see him go after the van, and everything goes south, and... Leo hits the road. Uh, Criminal is a great book. I I love Ed Brubaker. Sean Phillips is great. It makes me want to actually go and read uh, Marvel Zombies because, from what I understand, Sean Phillips did the art in Marvel Zombies. So I'm definitely going to be looking for that at my local library, all because of Criminal. Criminal was one of these books that, when the first issue came out, the month that issue number one came out, I actually was not going to get it. I had uh, Conan on my list to get. And I dropped it for criminal because I heard, I probably mentioned this, but I heard Ed Brubaker on around uh, comics and he sold me on the book. So I added it to my list and I'm definitely not sorry. I think criminal made my top five or top three last month as well. So if you like crime stories, um, check it out. I mean, it reminds me a lot of, of, I don't know if you've seen the Italian job. I, I, I think it's a, the, the one with Mark, uh, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. I think it's a remake of an original. I've never seen the original, but I've seen the Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch version and enjoyed it. If you like movies like that, then you'll like Criminal because it's, it's, I don't want to say it's similar, but eh, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, number two on my list for November is from Marvel Comics. It's Astonishing X-Men number 18. And this book is written by Joss Whedon, art by John Cassidy. The 
colorist is Laura Martin, and the letters are done by Chris Eliopoulos, big letter man on the books today. This, um, in previous issues, uh, again, more spoilers, Cassandra Nova and her, her Hellfire Club have broken into the X-Mansion um, specifically to, to take something from a box. Nobody knows what's in the box, um, but they need, uh, they use Kitty Pride to get what's in the box. And in this issue, it all kinds of come, kind of comes to a head. I mean, we've had in previous issues, Wolverine running around, uh, he was basically, I don't want to use the term de-evolved, but, uh, Cassandra Nova has made Wolverine think that he is, um, back in his childhood where he was like kind of this little Nancy boy and she's, uh, de-evolved the beast to a, a very primal state. When the last issue, um, Wolverine, uh, is knocked on the head by a can of beer. And it kind of knocks him back to his senses. There's a really great scene in here. This is the the scene that brought this to number two for me. And I'm just going to kind of read it to you here because uh, you've got the Beast and you've got uh, you got Hank the Beast and, and Wolverine speaking about how they came out of their little their little uh, psychic episodes here. And um, Wolverine asks him, you know, basically, well, you know, this is uh, so how and. And, uh, oh, yes, Hank says, a ball of string, synthetic fiber laced with pheromones, aerosols, smart drugs, light sequences, like opening a series of doors, each smell, each sequence. The professor and I worked on it after Nova's first attack. Under hypnosis, I associated my most complex brain functions with these key Wolverine interrupts him at this point. All right, got it. Class dismissed. Yeesh. And Hank asks him, and you? And Wolverine says, had a beer. To which Hank replies, same basic principle. That made me laugh out loud. That brought it up to number two for me. Uh, I'm going to miss this book when Josh Whedon and Cassidy leave the book. I'm not looking forward to that moment. I don't read any other X-Men books, frankly. I read Wolverine, but I don't read any other X-Men books because I'm one of these. um, I don't. I don't want to get into the X-Men because there's just so much continuity behind the X-Men that I'm not prepared to just leap in and try my hand at the X-Men. But I did with with uh, Astonishing X-Men, and I've loved every issue. And I'm frankly, probably when their run is done, I probably won't be reading any more X-Men. So we'll move along. Number one this month for November of 2006 actually does not come from either of the big two comes from Image Comics. It's the Nightly News, and this is done by Jonathan Hickman. Guy does it all. Art, writing, colors, letters, everything. He's done the book. He, he's it. He's the guy that just does everything. This, it, it's kind of an odd book. Um, I don't know if the art style is for everyone, um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a very unique art style. Um, done by Jonathan Hickman. And this this actually is his first book. This is his first foray into comics, and it's freaking kicking ass. And this is another book that I I read about on Newsarama and comic book resources and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, eh, it's a miniseries. I'm not going to get it. I already get too many darn books, and I, I don't want to pack another one on. I'll wait for the trade, you know, all that crap. And then, of course, those freaking guys from around comics, Tom Cater's, 
just went on and on and on about how great this book was. And so I, I had already placed my order for the month of November and frankly had already placed my order for the month of December when issue number two comes out. And I, I go through DCBS and I will have to give these people props. I emailed DCBS and I said, hey, is there any chance that I can still get the nightly news number one and two? And they said, you know what? Sure. And so I got number one. Issue number two will come at the end of the month. And I'm loving it. I guess I should talk about the book. Okay. Basically, you've got this group called um, the the Voice, the People of the Voice, the Church of the Voice. Um, basically, they're they're not really happy with the news media. And they've taken it upon themselves to uh, start a vendetta against news media of the world. And ultimately, they just start taking people out. They're taking out um, anchormen. They're taking out reporters. They're just killing them. You know, issue one is kind of a setup issue. Uh, issue number two, I'm really looking forward to. But nightly news, if you get a chance to read it, if you see it in your in your local comic book store, flip through it, pick it up. Like I said, the art may not be for everyone. Uh, it's not. I don't want to use the term. It's a hodgepodge of images because the, the first few pages where they're really kind of setting everything up. There's just, there's a lot of stuff on the page. And <clears throat> I will say that a, a lot of artists who, who try to do this kind of uh, look to a book usually do it to hide the fact that they're not really a very good artist. They slap a lot of uh, images and crazy weird colors and make it look all odd just to hide the fact that, that really they're not that good of an artist. But Jonathan Hickman's a, a great artist. I mean, he didn't have to do it this way. He wasn't hiding the fact that he's a bad artist because he's a good artist. So it, it really works with the book. It really works. It's got a lot of really uh, fun facts about news media and corporations and, and whatnot around the world. So uh, check it out. I highly recommend it. Obviously, I do because it's number one. Uh, Nightly News, Image Comics, Jonathan Hickman. You heard it here. And you heard it from around comics. And you probably read about it on Newsarama and comic book resources. But still, it's the book that took me out of the big two. So that's about all I got for you. That was my top five books of November 2006. This is normally the part of the show where I do, uh, this week on Heroes, a uh, spoilerific look at the latest episode of Heroes on NBC, but the damn show is in reruns, so instead I'm going to do a new and hopefully weekly segment, which I'm calling Stephen's Book Bag, in which I look at trades or graphic novels that I've picked up over the past week at the local library. And this past week when I stopped into the library to pick up some books, I decided to go for some trades that uh, 
I've been hearing a lot about but haven't had a chance to read monthly. So the first book we're going to look at is Powers, Who Killed Retro Girl. This is uh, the first volume of the Powers series uh, by Image Comics. It's uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis with uh, and uh, Mike Von Oming with uh, art by Mike Von Oming. Uh, basically, this is a uh, like a police detective story book, um, kind of like if, if you like TV shows like Criminal Intent, um, you know Law and Order, Criminal Intent, Law and Order SVU, those kind of shows. You'll probably like Powers because it's it's like those shows but set in a world with superheroes and. Basically, you, you, your main character is named Walker, and he is a police detective who works for homicide and solves, uh, basically what it looks like is homicides dealing with superpowered characters. And so you've got this, um, this superhero called Retro Girl who mysteriously dies, and it's basically him and his partner's job to investigate the murder. Uh, just like any good crime story, you gotta investigate the murder. Uh, but of course the twist is retro girl would possibly be this, this world's version of like a Superman or Supergirl because apparently she can't be killed. And so him and his partner set out to find out how it happened. Uh, I really dug this book. This was a great book. There's a, there's some cussing in it. If you're not a fan of the cussing, then I wouldn't pick it up. But otherwise, if, if you like superheroes, if you like, uh, shows like, uh, law and order, um, Pick it up because it's it's re it's it's really good. You know, there's there's not a lot I can say about that. Uh, the next book I picked up, uh, which I've really been wanting to read and finally got an opportunity to, is actually the first two volumes of The Walking Dead. Volume one is Days Gone By, and volume two is Miles Behind Us. Um, both of them are written by Robert Kirkman. Uh, the first volume uh, art is done by Tony Moore, and the second volume art is done by Charlie Adlard. And um, this is often described as a zombie book, and to a certain extent it is, but it's it's not so much a zombie book, but a book about these characters who are living in a world in which um, basically the... The Night of the Living Dead or whatnot has happened. Zombies are out um, killing and eating brains and all that good stuff. And like any good zombie story, if you get bitten by a zombie, then you're going to turn into a zombie. And if you want to kill a zombie, you got to basically uh, hit it in the head and destroy its brain. Uh, but ultimately, this, this book follows the story of um, Rick, who is a police officer, who right away at the beginning of the book, he's in a shootout and gets shot and is in a coma, wakes up and everything's different. Basically he wakes up into a world of zombies, which is kind of reminiscent of the movie 28 days later. And I believe I actually read something somewhere where, uh, Robert Kirkman was writing the book around the same time that, uh, 28 days later was being written or made and so 28 Days Later came out, and Robert Kirkman was watching it, and he was like, dang, man, they took my idea, which nobody took anybody's idea. It just kind of happened. Great minds think alike, apparently. But um, this is another one of those books that uh, I, you know, I'm really into, again, stories about a world in which um, 
you know, like a post, post-apocalyptic world. I love books like The Stand by Stephen King. I like, uh, movies like The Postman with, um, Kevin Costner. And this is kind of in the same vein. You know, you've got probably a healthy percentage of the world's population is dead and have turned into zombies. And a small group of characters basically have to try to survive. And, um, you know, they're, they're roaming the country. They, they have heard that, um, when it all started that the authorities were telling people to try to get to the larger cities because the authorities felt that in the larger cities they would be able to contain it and that's where you could go to get help. But of course, as soon as the mass populations of people began gathering in these large cities, basically it was just a meat market for zombies. And so Rick who has woken up, he's got a wife and child. He has no idea what's happened to them, but he's woken up. He's in a world of zombies and his, he, he feels that his wife and child may have gone to Atlanta, Georgia because his wife has family there. And, um, so that's where, that's where he heads out. He heads out to Atlanta to try to find them. And he, he does find them, uh, thankfully alive. And, um, also finds out, uh, later that his wife is pregnant. So then he's, he's, him and his wife are then faced with the issue of, you know, wanting to, uh, you know, of course, the thought of, birthing and raising a child in a world in which zombies are prevalent. So if if you like a good zombie story, then you're going to like The Walking Dead. And it's apparently a very popular book. Like I said, this is one of these that I've read about, that I've hear about a lot, and I've never had a chance to read. And I'm, I'm thankfully um, getting the chance to read them. And I'm very happy I did because they're, they're very good books. Uh, so I do recommend checking them out. So no... Real disappointments this week. Actually, there was, because uh, I got two Grendel books. Uh, Grendel, uh, God, I can't even think of what they're called now. Black, white, and red, or red, black, and white, and blah, blah, blah. Basically, two books. I was really looking forward to reading those because I've, I, the only Grendel story I ever read was, I believe it was called Grendel War Child, which was set in the future. Uh, but this is the original Grendel, the Hunter Rose. This is a, a Dark Horse book. And, but of course, I, start flipping through uh one of the books and I realize it's it's not I mean it is Grendel it is Hunter Rose but it's not all drawn by Matt Wagner who created the character he he wrote basically each book are um anthologies just a bunch of what looks like little short stories written by Matt Wagner but drawn by other artists and I wasn't in the mood for that so I just kind of set them aside I'm not I'm probably not going to read them and I might have some listeners that are probably slapping their foreheads and saying, you idiot, you've got to read them. They are awesome. But I wasn't in the mood. I wasn't in the mood for anthologies, so I, I set it aside. And who knows, maybe it, it is one long story throughout the entire uh, book or books, but eh, it just didn't float my boat. Uh, the, the various art styles that were very different from each other, just kind of turned me off, so I set it aside. So other than that, uh, it was a very good week for trades because I'm finally able to read some of The Walking Dead, and I hope they have other volumes up at the library because I'm I'm looking forward to moving along in this story, as, uh, especially finding out now that issue number 33 was sold out within 24 hours. Obviously, it's got to be a good book. i got to find out who this governor is. So that's, that's uh, Stephen's book bag. Um, yeah, that's it.
I'm really bad at ending these things, aren't I? But, you know, end it, end, end it I have. The segment's over. Let's just get past it. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. So that brings us to, once again, the view from Norman, Oklahoma. A weekly segment in which our resident bitter old fanboy pisses and moans about the state of the comic book industry. Or just anything that generally pisses him off. So, ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend, the old guy, Norman, Oklahoma. I'm just so pissed off about all of the stuff that is is happening that I have to bitch about it. <laughs> well, howdy, howdy, folks. Norman, Oklahoma, coming at you once again with all the stuff that I'd like to complain about for all you fanboys out there in the world. My little Normanites and all my little listeners who love my program just love to hear me talk. So here I go. Basically, what I want to talk about this week is those people out there that just don't understand the difference between 52, the series from DC Comics, and one year later. I hear so many fanboys out there that just don't understand that the two don't really go together. They're always talking about on the internet about, I don't understand what's happening. 52 doesn't match up with what's going on in, like, uh, Justice League this week. I just don't get it. Well, let me tell you something, boys. 52 is one year earlier. See, here's a, here's how it goes. There was this little thing. I don't know if you heard about it, but it was called Infinite Crisis. And at the end of Infinite Crisis, all the other books in DC Comics went forth one year later, except for 52. The entire purpose of 52 was to tell us what happened in that missing year. So if what's happened in 52 don't match up with what's going on in Justice League, there's a reason for that, numrods. It's because it's happening one year previous. So I want you all to think about that and quit your bitching, quit your moaning, and just wise up and what? Whoa, what are you doing? What you mean? What do you mean, what do I mean? You can't come on to my program and start calling my (laughs) listeners numrods. (laughs) Why not? Because you can't. I mean, I understand that the whole purpose of your little segment is to bitch about stuff, but I don't want you coming on my show telling my listeners that they're idiots and numrods (laughs) and what. What what is a numrod anyway? Uh, well, a numrod is like well, like an idiot, like a like a nimrod, but you know, dumber. Dumber, you know, <laughs> kind of like you. Okay, fine. That like you. Well, you're you're done. Your segment's done what? for the week. Get what? Just move along. What? Move along. Oh, you're, come on. You're done. Kiss my Get, butt. Sh- you're Kiss done. It. Get Kiss it. I'm out of here. I'm sorry, folks. I apologize for that. Uh, I don't know what Norman's been drinking tonight, but he's been drinking something. So this this will bring the view from Norman, Oklahoma to a close. And we're just going to get the show ended. But first, we're going to play some bloopers. And we actually have a total of eight blooper segments for you tonight. Eight of them. Enjoy. I will have my revenge upon you. Shut up. Sorry, bloopers. Now, go. Ask for Shirley Juba Shiba Shribidu. Robert Kirkman and Charlie Adler Libid The Breathtaking Mini Mini Shnee Alabalabadoo. The people of Earth now sit around their television sets, glued to the news, anxiously anxiously she anxiously shinabir. Today I'm gonna talk about Independence Day's pretty predecessor. They even have their own version of the Hitler Youth when they recruit recruit 
I can't speak like I should. Superman has battled, um, um, Norman, Oklahoma, coming at you one again, once again, with all my stuff, with the stuff. And so that brings another arm twisting episode to a close. So I'd like you to take a moment out of your busy lives and just tell me that you like the show or tell me that you hate it. Don't care. Tell me something. You can do that in a few ways. You could send me an email at justanotherfanboy at gmail.com. You could sign up and post at the message board at pythonland.com slash fanboy. You could go to Podcast Alley at podcastalley.com, search for Just Another Fanboy, and vote for the show. You could also find the show on iTunes and write me a review. And, of course, you can also call at 1-877-309-8367, extension 212, and leave me an audio comment or a review, or you could sing a song. You could have your dog bark into the phone. I don't care, because I'm going to play it. So the theme song for this show is Comic Book by the Super Spies. Find it and information about the band at garageband.com. The rest of the music from this week's show uh, comes from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. And while you're out there on the Internet, take a moment to check out all the other great programs from Lynx Broadcasting. Just follow the Lynx Broadcasting link found at the top of justanotherfanboy.com. So until next week, I'm Steven, and I'm Just Another Fanboy. I wish you'd just stop arguing with me all the time. Oh, you know I do it just because I love you. I love you too, man. This show was dedicated to the memory of Elmer Esman, the uncle that could sound like Donald Duck.